you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast, the hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Evidently, I'm the host, so I guess it's my job to do this uh, at the beginning. So I'll just go ahead and do it. Welcome to the show, guys. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Refer the show to your family, friends, relatives, and everyone else. Tell them to uh, subscribe at youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss. All those places like Goodreads, Icon, forward slash Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. All our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. All those crazy places the kids are playing these days. Make sure you subscribe to the LinkedIn newsletter. That thing is killing it over there. You'll see this on their LinkedIn newsletter in the next day or two, if I can spell LinkedIn or pronounce it. Uh, also go to our big 130,000 group over there on LinkedIn. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneur toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. Or order the book wherever fine books are sold. Today, we have an amazing author on the show. He's a multi-book author, if you will. He's written many books. That's what that means. Multi-author for those of you from the new generation who can't read. Uh, public school. It's so awesome. I went there too. Anyway, guys, David Sachs is on the show with us. He's written a book called The Soul of an Entrepreneur, Work and Life Beyond the Startup Myth. Came out April 21st, 2020. I've been a, uh, he was recommended by someone on the show. So thanks to whoever did that. So we're going to be talking about his awesome book today. And he's uh, got a lot of in the, in the package here. I'm seeing here on Amazon. He is a journalist, writer, and keynote speaker especially specializing in business and culture. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? I'm great, Chris. I have to say, I've been in a lot of podcasts. I have never heard a podcast intro theme music like that. Thank you. That was, <laughs> I was, all, all you needed to complete it was someone saying, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday at the, <laughs> you know, Toledo Metrodome. <laughs> Chris we had, podcast. We had we had Dave Navarro on last week from man, I'm still suffering from leg day, but the, the musician. And he he heard the intro and he goes, I thought I was entering a WWE truck show or something. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. It was it was a nineteen eighties monster truck rally yeah, we, announcer we that you got, which is great. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we feed it with energy. So welcome to the show. We certainly appreciate you. you coming on. Congratulations on the book. Give us your plugs, your dot com so people can find you on on those interwebs? Good question. Yes, I have a very untouched website that I just paid the bill for today, but haven't touched Ouch. in a few years called saxdavid.com. And then a Twitter at saxdavid, which I try to avoid for my mental sanity. And LinkedIn, saxdavid, I guess, David Sachs. I don't know. It's somewhere on there. People seem to find me, Bangladeshi Forex traders and various Bitcoin evangelists seem to invite me every day. So yeah. I'm on there as well. Um, yeah. 
I love LinkedIn. It's the most boring of the social networks. I'm going to say that with <laughs> great praise. Well, we'll probably uh, have you on the newsletter uh, tomorrow. Probably we'll have it out tomorrow. Great. So that'll go Look out to, to a bunch of people. And and Thanks. then, uh, you know, we love LinkedIn. It's I've been on it since uh, the beginning of time. So before Microsoft ruined it. And it's starting to really, though, come into its own now again. The ruining of Microsoft has kind of made a comeback. <laughs> so you've written a lot of books. How many books have you written total? I'm seeing like a whole bunch of them here on it. A whole bunch of books. This one, The Soul of an Entrepreneur, which came out. Uh, two years ago, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my fourth. I have another one coming out this fall. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess this is what I do. Um, awesome. Sling paper. Sling paper. Sling ideas. Letters on, on paper. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I, it's you know. I paper write and word. I write books for a living. There you go. Um, so I've been an entrepreneur for 18 years and I'm still searching for my soul. Tell us what motivated you want to write this book, The Soul of an Entrepreneur, or if you want to give us a little origin story, maybe that led you up to it too, feel free. Well, you know, similar story to yours, Chris, in that I had been working for myself as a writer and journalist and speaker and whatever else I do to make money and live and define myself as a human being in this modern world for a similar period of time you know, two decades. And uh, I had never worked for anyone else. And the last job I had as a paid employee was teaching skiing, you know, for two months in a winter on the weekends. And even in my career, I've never, I've never been employed by a newspaper, an organization. So, you know, I always worked for myself. Not only that, but my wife had just started her own business. My brother had just started his own business. My father has been an entrepreneur his entire career. You know, mm-hmm. he graduated law school. He worked at one firm for, a, you know, a year. And after he's got his certification, they're like, Sachs, you're, you know, you're not meant to be an employee here. <laughs> My grandfather started a tool business, which just finally closed after 80 years. So everyone in my family was an entrepreneur in the sense that they all worked for themselves. Mm-hmm. And my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, like everyone. And yet, you know, at the time when I started thinking about this book, which was four or five years ago, everybody was talking about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. There were podcasts and festivals and magazines and, you know, so much sexiness and glamour around entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. But it was only about one type of entrepreneurship. And I didn't recognize myself or anyone that I knew in that or, you know, very few people. And that was kind of this exclusive focus on the glorification of the kind of Silicon Valley style Mm. startup entrepreneur, right? Mm. And you know the story. You've heard the story before, I imagine, Chris. It's most of our audience. Young, brilliant man or woman graduated or dropped out even better from Harvard or Stanford. No other Mm. university. Dartmouth, nobody cares. You know, the State University of Nevada or whatever. You know, and had a brilliant idea and manifested it with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital venture capital and now they're sitting on a stage in like very expensive but casual looking sneakers telling you how you can be an entrepreneur <laughs> and and sort of this myth of the startup as the as the kind of defining story and mythology of entrepreneurship really captured the world of business and of culture. I mean, transcending it, right? Think of someone like Elon Musk. You know, he's not written about in the business press. He's worshipped in celebrity magazines and in cultural magazines. I mean, he's he is as much a cultural figure as, you know, a movie star. And it has very little to do with his, like, financial acumen or whatever. And yet, that is the example that everybody sort of looks at when they're talking about entrepreneurship. Which, as I started thinking about, 
and 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 again, looking for myself and my family and my wife and everybody I knew in these in these figures and this kind of mythology of the entrepreneur, which was really like the story that everybody wanted to tell, I was missing out on the 99% of entrepreneurs that actually are the ones that are out there, the people that own the coffee shop around the corner and the car mm -hmm. repair place and the small accounting business and the lawyer that helped prepare my you know, tax return and all the other entrepreneurs, the individuals who work for themselves, who own a business, who work for themselves and have no own boss and have sort of decided to 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 forge their own path the podcasters the podcast production studios wait you get paid for this no wait, you're, you're, that's a, a whole other story <laughs> you don't get a check because you're not an employee you're an entrepreneur huh. fight for those checks my my, um, my card says b-i-t-c-h on it is my title i'm not sure what in that means, chief but, in, in chief, chief. yes I, well I, at least i got the chief part there i, I took um, years to get that so see, it really came out of this, this, this fascination around it. Cause initially I was like, I'm going to write about this boom of entrepreneurship. Look at all these entrepreneurs. Look at all these co-working spaces. Look at all these startups. There's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. My friend, yeah. Greg Kaplan, who happens to be a professor at university of Chicago in economics at the time, Princeton, brilliant young man. Greg said, well, are you sure about that? And I was like, yeah, look at all the startups. Look at all the WeWorks. Look at all these, you know, we were, New York. <laughs> we were in New York at the time, at the time, at the time. The WeWorks was the golden goose. And I was like, look at all these co-working spaces. Of course, this is a golden age of entrepreneurship. He's like, let me send you a, a paper. Let me send you some economic statistics. And what it said was that if you judge it by the number of businesses that people in America, I'm in Canada, but you know, in America were starting, it uh -huh. was half the number of people were going into work for themselves, going into business for themselves, self-employed from 1980, you know, pretty much the year after I was born until now, it, it had been declining. That American entrepreneurship had actually been on the decline. Fewer people now are going out to work for themselves and starting their own business. And so on the one hand, you had this mythology. It's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. It's never been easier to be an entrepreneur. It's never been easier to raise money. It's never been easier to start a company. All you have to do is click, click, click. And, you know, Squarespace, WeWork, and all these things are just going to take care of it for you. You don't need this. You don't need that. And you're off to the races raising millions. And the reality, which is that, wow, fewer people are actually starting businesses. Fewer people are going out to work for themselves. Fewer people are taking that risk. Fewer people are becoming entrepreneurs. And fewer people are actually succeeding at it. So what was happening? There was this disconnect um, between the mythology and the reality of entrepreneurship. And that's what the book is about. All right. All right. Short answer, no. But <laughs> I've been sitting in this chair for two years, so. <laughs> the uh, you and me man that's been a fun it's been a interesting ride i don't think fun's the right word but i mean we've we've met a lot of great people other that, that you know we probably wouldn't have met otherwise so you know what is the soul of the entrepreneur because i'm still trying to find uh mine mm -hmm. mine's i don't know mine's in in i think i think i sold mine to the devil or something but uh, what, what is the soul of the entrepreneur and give us a tease if you would on what you found in your in your research sure well the reason the book's called the soul of an entrepreneur is because that's what i wanted to write about you know mm -hmm. every book that you read about entrepreneurship and there are stores filled with them every podcast you listen to about entrepreneurship it's mm -hmm. about the mind of the entrepreneur the brain of the mm -hmm. entrepreneur the success of the entrepreneur i'm supposed path. to have a brain yeah, no, no, God, no. <laughs> Instinct, the path of the entrepreneur, right? Five ways you can, six ways you can, 10 ways, the top five, the top 20, you know, the best mythologies and ideas that you have 
to make your money, right? What are the five things Elon Musk did? What are the 10, you know, ways that Steve Jobs wore his shoes? You know, Andrew Carnegie did, he recommends these five breakfast cereals. <laughs> and it's, it's all based on this idea of, you know, a process, you know, a path, mm. but when you know entrepreneurs and you talk to entrepreneurs, as I had done as a business journalist for many years, wrote for Business Week and the New York Times and various other publications that you won't know about and don't sound as impressive. And you you interview entrepreneurs, I did for books and whatever, you know, restaurant owners, people who own manufacturing businesses, street food sellers in Rio de Janeiro. And you talk to them about their businesses, they're not like, oh yeah, here's how I got from, you know, uh, uh, 2% growth to 3% growth annually. And these are the five methods I do. They talk about their businesses in the terms of talking about things with the soul. They talk about their business and their life as an entrepreneur in the same way they talk about their life with their family, their life living in their place. They talk about the, their business and, and entrepreneurship in the same way they talk about spirituality and soul um, or a passion or a hobby that they have. And I know personally and from those around me that entrepreneurship is very much a journey of the soul, regardless of whether you are successful, you know, financially or not, or as the majority of entrepreneurs are some kind of mix in between, right? Successful. Mm -hmm. I literally just finished doing my tax return. So you're hitting it particularly... <laughs> disgustingly raw moment. The fun uh, part of the, the entrepreneur. The fun of an entrepreneur. Yeah. The tax filings. <laughs> the yeah. write-off of an entrepreneur. Yeah. That is one of the nice things about being an employee. Somebody else deals with all the paperwork for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's always nice. You know, it is it is a soul work. I've told people there is nothing that, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe parent. I've never done parenting, so I can't say I, I fully uh, know what's something because that seems like a whole fun road there, especially the diaper phase. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, to me, and I don't, I don't know. I, I okay. I, I haven't done parenting, so I, I don't have that experience to fall back on, but just about anything in life to me, nothing gives you self-actualization or forces, forces self-actualization on you than being an entrepreneur, especially one without a VC backing you and, and, you know, lots of money. You know, I started my first companies with sweat equity and I think $2,000 when we first, the, the first successful company that went to multi-million dollar status, we started with $2,000. We had maybe four months to four months to make a profit and not run out of funds. A lot of it was sweat equity that we were putting into it, our own vehicles and stuff for what we were doing. But we funded it with literally $2,000. I write about it in my book. Within a year and a half, I started a second company on top of the first company that was just blowing up for $4,000. We started a mortgage company. Both companies lasted 15 and 20 years. The mortgage company would be around today if I if if it hadn't been for the giant recession. The courier company, you know, we we're making so much money in the mortgage company, it finally became just a liability with cars and people driving around. And I'd moved to another state and was running it for some time. But, you know, I mean, literally taking two companies and turning them into multi-million dollar companies, hundreds of employees, really huge things from just that little seed money. And then we had a little whole little empire of, of companies. We started out of that. We were just, uh, I was just smacking balls there for a while, home runs every time. And um, going through that experience, and then of course, watching the, what you talked about earlier, the VCs, the WeWorks, where I've seen, you know, millions and millions of dollars, billions sometimes, put behind, you know, some 20 year old dude. And, you know, you, you hear about uh, who was it that wrote the unicorn book? A friend of mine, Dan, Dan Lyons, a friend of mine. Yeah. He wrote the unicorn book and uh, I forget the name of it. My, sorry, Dan. Oh God. 
Dan Dan like wrote the blurb on the back of my book, so I, I really should. Oh, did he? Disrupted, disrupted, disrupted. I, I was gonna, I was just going to Google him, but Thanks, you know, man. seeing Sorry. the seeing the amount of money that's blown out their butts and and seeing some of the challenges. You know, I just recently watched Clubhouse for the last two years ruin one of the greatest rollouts Clubhouse. ever. Wasn't that a, that was that, I would that was like a hot second in time. Right. That was, it was, that was perhaps the frothiest, most delicious blip in the frothy, <laughs> delicious blips of like Silicon Valley social media BSPR marketing. Like, oh, yeah. Th- there was like a three week phase where it's like, are you on Clubhouse? Are you Clubhouse? Are you doing Clubhouse? I'm on Clubhouse. Someone's on Clubhouse. Someone's on Clubhouse. And by the end of it, like people were just doing parodies. I'm like, well, I'm glad I never even touched that. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad I watched that wave wash back out to sea. Well, the, the decisions they made were just uh, abysmal. I mean, I never, I'd never seen in recent memory, other than probably WeWork, so many bad, poor decisions. And a lot of it was just youth and inexperience and whatever. But you know, millions and millions of dollars. So, what, what? So, do you do you try and profile who in the book who the normal entrepreneurs are, and maybe? try and peel away some of that mythology so people can, you know, because people get lost in that whole minutia of the mythology of like, ooh, you know, I see all these people running around going, I'm a boss, I'm a boss, babe. And you're just like, you make $5 an hour. You're, I don't know, you're just doing some coaching or something. I'm not really sure what you're doing. I don't know. What do you, do you try and do that in your book where you're pulling away the mythology or? Yeah, that's exactly what the book is. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. is saying, Listen, let's look beyond this to actually see what what is it what does it mean in a much deeper way to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to the beginning of, of actually how you know how we got to this point, right? How the how the definition of an entrepreneur even began going back to, you know, the the you know, four or five hundred years ago in France when the term was first being used and what that means. And then how that definition really over the twentieth century, the latter part of the twentieth century, became far more narrowly defined for various different reasons as this, you know, high growth venture capital backed entrepreneur. And then, and, and then I, so I start, I profile entrepreneurs in each different part of the book, looking at the different types, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, the silica, you know, two students at Stanford who are starting some startup because that's the thing to do. And they feel like they have to do it and just examines that kind of world through <laughs> their eyes as they see it. And they start getting jaded about the reality of what it is, but also, you know, the, the immigrant entrepreneur, a, a family of two Syrian brothers whose bakery was destroyed in Aleppo and came as refugees here to Toronto and completely rebuilt and rebuilt the bakery and brought their families over. And, you know, that story of everything that, that, that that meant to them and other Syrian refugees who came around the same time. We'd all open these restaurant businesses, entrepreneurs who do it for lifestyle. I, I the, this wonderful woman, Tracy Abalski, who was working as kind of a high-end pastry chef at top restaurants in Manhattan, really well known and absolutely hated it. Totally burned out, wanted to surf, just wanted to do her own thing. And so she opened a bakery and cafe in Rockway beach and, you know, wakes up every day, goes surfing, bikes to her bakery, bakes, sells coffee, goes, bikes back, goes surfing, you know, has dinner, goes to bed, wakes up at 5 a.m., does it every day and is living the dream, so to speak. There you um, go. Not getting rich, but, you know, lives the life of someone who we would all aspire to live like. Um, e- even talking about, you know, those entrepreneurs who 
for whom it's all about, you know, the soul is defined by the, the, the realization of their own values. And when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, we sell one shoe and we give another shoe to a poor child in Africa. But actually, you know, the, the entrepreneur has been at some sort of business for a long time and actually realizes that the purpose of their entrepreneurship is greater than just the money they're making and, and what that's like. So it really does try to, through the eyes of, of many of these different types of entrepreneurs, which represent, you know, a very small selection, obviously, what that's like for them, what it's yeah. like to, to define themselves and their own identity through entrepreneurship. Yeah, I went through that cathartic time too. I went through that that whole tunnel. You know, it, it, as we mentioned earlier, the self-actualization process, it literally is your soul. Like you... You live, breathe your business. It's everything, 24-7. There's no punch-out time. I remember when I um, first came down to Las Vegas and, and ran, built a mortgage company, just starting to build a mortgage company for some Chinese investors. Oh, they were from China, I should say. The uh, It was so nice to have someone else's money be in the bank and, and I didn't have to worry about whether, I mean, I had to worry about whether we were going to make a profit or not, but you know, we, I knew what we were building cause I'd built it before. And, uh, but it was so nice to be able to go home at five and not have to think about it so much like I would all of my other companies and uh, being able to punch out at five is a whole different thing. I used to dream like all the time of what I would be doing the next day. Like that, that would be my dreams, who I was going to fire, what meetings I was going to have. If I dreamed about a beautiful girl, I mean, that was like a miracle once in a million uh, days. It was always about business. So you, you would dream business. You would live, breathe, eat it 24-7. Even if you were at home trying to watch a movie or out trying to watch a movie or have a nice dinner with someone. It gets absorbed in, yeah. into such a central part of your identity yeah. and you can't separate yourself yeah. from it. And you get a call. Um, and, you get a yeah. call. Hey, uh, the place is on fire. Yeah. You know, somebody again. You're like, did yeah. we set it this time? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it just never ends. But I went through that cathartic experience where, and it, and it helped that I had a business partner finally betray me and step out of the picture. But I went through that cathartic thing where we became hugely successful, had, you know, all the employees. I mean, I wish I would have written down all the stories of all my employees' adventures. I would have like four books if I could remember them all. <clears throat> but the fun of being an entrepreneur, the employees. And, and I, 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 my business partner did fry out. That's why he quit. He fried out. He's just like, I, I'm tired of this after 13 years. I'm done. And I don't, I don't like being an entrepreneur anymore. And uh, so he went off and did his thing. Me, I went through a great thing where once I got rid of him and, and uh, replaced him with a really cheap secretary, which was pretty amazing for the amounts we were being paid. The, you know, I went through a phase where I'm like, I don't need all these employees. I can make a lot of money, you know, and, and the phase, of course, you know, I built my companies, people here, the 2000 and 4,000 numbers, they don't realize this was back in the day where you had to buy an office and you had, these were brick and mortar companies. These weren't like buying a GoDaddy website and you're selling your business. These were brick and mortar companies. In fact, our first company had to buy regulation and licenses and insurance and stuff. So that was a heady time to start a business because you, you didn't just you didn't just start a GoDaddy website. You you bought the business, you know, paid a bunch of money for the phone company to show up and install the lines and stuff. You know, I went through that cathartic period and now I'm in a much better place, kind of like kind of like where I don't really want to run a 100 person business anymore. I really like what I do and, and, and try and maximize my money and I can earn almost as much as I used to earn back then without all the headache. And, and I like it a lot better. The quality of my life is better. And so I, I went through that sort of gauntlet you're talking about where maybe I found someone in my soul or whatever is left. I don't know. I, I think that's it. I mean, entrepreneurship is. 
So the way the myth is, is, you know, you're going to have a brilliant idea. You're going to, you're going to put it out there in the world. People are going to give you money for it. And then you're going to be rich and successful and change the world. And let's say that happens. The 99% of people that it's not going to happen. Their idea isn't brilliant. They're not going to find the money. The execution is going to be. Your ideas suck. Right. That's just, that's reality. And I include myself in that, you know, mediocre pool. But, you know, even if that happens to you, you still then have to confront what you do next. I mean, because mm-hmm. it is it is not just a straight monetary thing. It's not like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to work myself up to this level. And then when I get to this level, you know, I'm going to be paid a million dollars. Then at this level, we paid two million and then a 10 million. And then I get, you know, at this age, I'm going to retire. When you're an entrepreneur, it's, it's, it's almost, you know, all the entrepreneurs I talk to, to it's never about the money. I mean, money mm-hmm. is 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 a marker of success and there's an ambition around it but it's not about making a certain amount and and so you know the entrepreneur's journey is constantly being redefined and they're constantly being challenged by their own goals and determinations of why they're doing this right mm-hmm. why am i why am i getting up each day and doing this thing that i do whether i have 100 employees or 1000 employees or no employees why do I keep doing this instead of going out and finding a job and unloading that mental burden, right? Yeah. Um, the the French economist who basically coined the term entrepreneur had been in use in France in different ways, but he was the one who really sort of defined it in 1734, I think. You know, Richard Cantillon, he said, you know, there are two types of people. There's the person who is the employee and they get paid for the work they do. They get paid a daily or weekly or monthly wage, whether they're the farmer, the sort of king's, you know, advisor. And then everyone else is the entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur, all entrepreneurs, whether they're poor or rich, whatever field they're in, are linked by two things. One is freedom. They have the freedom to decide how to work, where to work, what they want to work on, you know, the way they approach it, and risk. And risk is you know, the fact that they don't know if they're going to get paid or how much they'll get paid or whether their venture will be successful or not. And that tension between freedom and risk is really the core of the soul of the entrepreneur. And that's the thing that every entrepreneur constantly, constantly is reevaluating and dancing with that tension because it's mm-hmm. never, it's never perfect. It's never in perfect harmony or balance. As soon as you take on more risk, you know, you're, you're losing a little bit of the freedom. As soon as you're going for a bit more freedom, you're taking on greater risk and, and you can't have one without the other. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about with your own experiences is, is that dance that all entrepreneurs do between freedom and risk. And that's Mm -hmm. really the essential part of what it is to be an entrepreneur, regardless of the fields you're in, regardless of the years of, you know, you've been doing it, regardless of how many companies you started or how many companies succeeded or how many companies fail or how much money you make or how much money you lost. It's mm-hmm. all about that freedom and risk. That's that's the defining characteristic and and that's the the trap, the dance, the the conversation that's constantly happening within the entrepreneur's own head. Yeah. It's and it's never a final thing. Like I had no. this I had this thing and I imagine you talk about it in your book, but I had this image that once I built an empire companies I pretty much would be set for life and and it would be an easy role, but it's a constant fluid state of changing market dynamics, business models, mistakes that you can make. Those are always fun. But, you know, I mean, you can build a company <clears throat> or a business model and run it for a decade. You can run it for years. And then all of a sudden market 
market, the market changes, the regulation changes, or, you know, there's, is uh, sometimes the ways of processing the business change or something comes up that you start bleeding. Some money sort of and, pandemic, yeah. some sort of global <laughs> like a pandemic like or, or, a re- or a 2008 housing crisis recession right. that wipes out every business or, that you own. You know, your entire supply lines in the Eastern cities of Ukraine, go. like, right. That yeah. those risks or, are. Those risks are, are huge. Those are big external risks. And then there's the mm-hmm. everyday risks. Mm-hmm. Your manager steals from you. Someone in your business that's a key person gets sick with cancer. <laughs> Tastes change, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you have your own health issues. You have a family and your priorities change. I mean, all mm-hmm. these risks are constant. Nothing is static. And even for the entrepreneur, the lucky ones who create some business that has this consistent, you know, autopilot level of success, which they exist. They work, mm-hmm. right? There, there, there are a few lucky people. Even those entrepreneurs are not like, well, I'm good. I'm set off to Florida with me. <laughs> they get to Florida and they're like, this town really needs bagels. Or, you know, I was just in Mexico uh, with my family on vacation and we were renting a condo from these people who this guy was an entrepreneur and from Toronto also. And uh, who owned the unit that we were renting next to. And he's, you know, he owns a trucking business, but while he's down there, he's helped do like interior building for restaurants because he used to do that in Toronto. It's like he didn't need to do it. There was no financial reason, you know, he's just like, well, you know what? Yeah, you need help with the restaurant. All right, well, I have some experience in it. Like, you know, it's even then the risk is that restlessness. Uh-huh. That restlessness gets to them. They, I, entrepreneurs need that. They want to exercise that freedom. They're not like, no, I'm good. I've started enough businesses. I'm going to go back to the beach and have my Corona. It's like two hours into that, you know, beach. Like, oh, what the hell else am I going to do? All right, let's start a business. You know, one of the, <clears throat> one of the problems is, is our mindset because we see things from how things can be better and it becomes a muscle that you develop. And so, you know, you, you see, you know, I, I get mental, like I go into places, I think I was recently in my gym and, you know, you see how things are managed. You see how things operate. You, you know, I, I used, I, st- I think I probably still do mentally, I, but I used to be really present in thinking about it, but I would walk into most businesses and try and figure out their business model and their money. And my psychiatrist said I was doing that. He's like, you would normally be insane, but because you use it for a business purpose, it's probably okay what you do, Chris, because I would count things and, and measure things and, and like keep different databases in my head. And he, but, but, you know, I'd look at them and be like, okay, how do these guys make a profit? And then sometimes, you know, their business is so awful, whether it's like customer service or product delivery or execution or, you know, you name it, you just sit and you look at them and go, how the F are these people making money? Right. <laughs> How how the hell are they making? I can't figure it out because these guys are really bad at what they're doing. But, you know, and so you, you walk into businesses, you look at everything in life. You know, you look at, you know, anything you can hand me, I'll probably look at it, study and be like, hmm, I wonder how they made this. And you just, it's a muscle that you, once you make it and you maintain it too, it just kind of, it, it, you're like, should I go into this business? This kind of looks interesting. What is this? Right. And an instant way for you to lose money. Like it's, that's, you know, how many, how many restaurants have been started by brilliant entrepreneurs and business people who like love this kind of food and think they could do better. And it's like, oh, here's your shirt. Take it to the cleaners because that's where you're going, my friend. <laughs> oh, you I love like steakhouses? Good, great. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, uh, we, we did that with a lot of little companies that we start up or our companies we do, we do a, a business alone thing. And, and so we get insights into businesses and then sometimes we'd be like, well, we should maybe take them over or whatever, or bring them in our companies. And sometimes they just want to work out. And, you know, a lot of ideas that we would try that just want to work out and you just be like, okay, well, just let's stick with the, what makes us money. But, you know, you just have that muscle, but, it, it's it's maddening, you know. Like I said, my psychiatrist used to say, because I used to suffer really bad anxiety in the early years, and I had to get medicated for that, you know, basically depression. I grew up, I, I started I started with it when I was 16 where I was checking doors, and, you know, I had the CEO disease, the ADD disease, which, I don't know, that's a whole book in and of itself. But it was maddening because you, you live business all your life, you live, eat, breathe, you do it, you're, you know, you're constantly looking at business models, thinking about business models, you know, it, it's just, it's a tough place to be. And I don't think people realize, like you say, it's, you know, people see the glam and glory and they're like, oh, you know, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's easy, but it, it's not. Yeah. I, I think what, <clears throat> what a lot of people sort of project, and this is that grass is greener is, you know, you're your own boss. You have, the, you have this unlimited freedom, but they don't really think of the risk. Mm. I mean, they think of it in the sense of like, well, I could never do that. But what they don't actually think about is the sort of day-to-day burden of that risk. So even for someone who, you know, is a, a small entrepreneur like myself, completely self-employed, I have no employees. You know, I write books, I write articles, I, I give talks, right? That's mm. the extent of my entrepreneurial empire, so to speak. And Again, did the taxes today. So the empires like Russia's, you know, shrinking. Yes. Today's podcast brought to you by Rosneft. But, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, I was, I was talking with someone, a fellow parent in my kid's school the other day. And she, she was, you know, she works for the city in, in, as a, as a job in the bureaucracy of Toronto. Lovely person. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, she's like, it's amazing what you do. Like you come up with ideas, you write books. Like I wish I could do that. And I was like, honestly, I, Tamara, like I wish I could work with you and get a pension and just like do my job and have a very clearly defined thing. Cause I just finished a book and I'm literally staring at a blank calendar of nothingness. And like, I have a bunch of ideas, but like now I know I have to like work on them for months and try to get to something where I can sell it before I like I have months before anyone will pay me for anything. And that mental burden is just going to build up inside me is this tremendous ball of horrible tension. And then I'm going to do it again in two years. And like, it's like, oh, but the grass on the other side of just like every two weeks, you got to check and here's your vacation days and here's your thing and here's your benefits. And, you know, I got to talk to Jeff in accounting and Susan and, you know, marketing, but Prita in, in, in management's got this other thing. It's like that world is so foreign to me and it just seems horrendous and horrible. But like part of me envies that certainty of it and the, and the lack of risk, right? The only risk is you lose your job and then you find another job. They're out there, you know, we're at the lowest unemployment in history or something like that. So, so it's, it's, it's so interesting, right? That, Mm. that mind, the way we project around the sort of reality of what that is. And I think for entrepreneurs, that reality just becomes different. And the longer they're in it, it's, it's, you know, but it's still always hard to like wrap your head around what your reality is as an entrepreneur. It's it still this, there's still this disbelief where you're like, is this really the way I live? <laughs> it's, it's so funny. You know, I look back on it now and I'm just like, did I really do all that crap? And oh, I'm tired. The, 
you 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 live it so so much. You know, I just got done writing my first book just barely last year. It took me fifty four years to write, evidently. Mazel tov. Uh, And, you know, you get the book done and then everyone looks at you like, okay, what's next book, boy? What do you got next coming up? You know, you have to start thinking about the next book. And you're like, wait, I didn't, did I start something? Like, I have to do more, you know? And then, and then you're like, hey, I just, I just wrote this book. And I was like, you got to go out and promote it. Yeah. Go, go, go chase, go chase that around. You're like, wait, people just don't buy this damn thing because i wrote it like you know there's like i don't know it was like three hundred thousand new books are published every month oh yeah there's nothing more dispiriting than walking into a bookstore for another i mean it's just maybe jk rowling's like she's got it covered but everyone else it's crushing it's crushing yeah and 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 i you know it's it's been a great experience but it was it was hard to write the book especially the first time Mm -hmm. Um, i'm hoping it will be easier a little bit the second time at least i you know i develop some muscle of writing every day but yeah it's you're you're just always like what what is that sign what is that song that all the ladies like what have you done for me lately it's kind of that's the definition of entrepreneurs (laughs) Like, okay, well, yeah, you did that yesterday, and that was really cool. But what are you, what are you doing now, buddy? What you, what's yeah, next? What's what's the next thing? What's the next big thing, right? And I think that's it. It's there's this idea that like I'm going to do this, and it's going to get to this point, and then I'm going to sell it, or I'm going to exit, and then you know I'm good. And then it's like, yeah. well, okay, let's say that happens, and you you hit the you hit the nail on the head. Then yeah. what, right? Or you know, I, th- I and so I think again, it's that idea of of you know the, the the entrepreneurs that were most in tune with the soul were the ones who were, realized that they truly found joy and meaning in the actual work day to day of what it is mm-hmm. and and what they were able to bring to that in terms of their community or in terms of their values or in terms of their ideas that part of it is kind of what what really the healthy entrepreneurs are able to sort of get at because there's going to be businesses that do well. There's going to be businesses that do poorly. There's going to be a lot of stuff in between. There's going to be good years. There's going to be bad years. There's going to be years that are a mix of both. And that's in every industry in the life of every entrepreneur. And you know, I think that's, what? yeah, that that's coming to terms with that is a really difficult thing. And it's something that very few entrepreneurs do, certainly early on. It takes a long time to kind of come to that mature realization that like it's not it's not a it's not a race it's not a sprint and it's not really even a marathon it's like a long hike along a never-ending appalachian trail with peaks and valleys and beautiful views along the way and you better enjoy the smell of pine and you know poop in the woods because that's it that's it man there you go. The you know, and and the journey is is you have to build something. They'll build it, and they will come, or hopefully they'll come. There's no guarantee, like there was in the movie. And I don't think even there was in the movie. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> like yeah, the ghost was, of Ty Cobb yeah. gave him a guarantee. It's like I guarantee it. Here's a contract guarantee from a ghost. Wow, I've had those dreams, but usually it was uh, involving vodka, where you know someone appears and says, "Oh, sure, it'll work out." But you know, part of the problem is, is you know, as an employee, you step into a business, and you know, you everything's formed for you. You step into a pre-mold, pre-molded, prefab. Okay, here's what you do: you do this, and you do this little box thing, and you're you're good. As an entrepreneur, you have to go out and create it. Like you know, I remember writing the book last year, just sitting around going. I, no one's going to read this piece of trash. Like this is, this is stupid at one point. The editing was the hardest part. And, you know, just, just, just being like, 
I, I'm putting in all these hours and I'm putting all this blood, sweat, and tears. Is anyone to care or read about this stupid thing? Like you're like, I'm going to sell like one copy. <laughs> you know, you you start having all these self doubts that you have to deal with, all this nightmarish, all this nightmarish stuff that goes to your head. You know, and like you say, it's a, it's a winding journey that seems to almost have no destination. Where you're going through it and. You're just like, is this even going to work out? One of my friends, Dennis Yu, and I think a, a few people use this as a, as a joke. Now it's kind of become memeish on LinkedIn. But they talk about, they're like, oh, here's another guy who's a overnight entrepreneur, but they've been building it for eight years. Like no one ever talks about how, you know, you always see the profiles. Hey, here's this guy who, who or this woman who, who overnight success. She took her business and in the last two years, it went from like $50,000 to 10 million, but they never like say, well, she was working on that, making 50,000 for the right. first 10 years. There's a woman I wrote about in the book, Jessica Dupart, who's a, mm -hmm. you know, a black woman from New Orleans, grew up braiding hair in her parents' bathroom of her friends. She would sneak them in the back door <laughs> or through the window in high school. And then eventually, you know, worked at salons, worked at barber shops, had a salon she opened up with a partner, her and the partner split up, started again, built another salon from scratch. No, no loans, no banks. She's a black woman, no banks giving money to a black woman in New Orleans. And totally self-financed, bootstrap. Hurricane Katrina wipes that all away. Of course, no insurance is paying her. Rebuilds it up from scratch. You know, hair salon opens up uh, a month later. A, a stylist leaves a hair blow dryer on. Place burns to the ground. Rebuilds again. Goes back working for other people while she's rebuilding her business. Starts selling hair products out of a thing and starts making videos with someone who does nails in the salon. And the videos are are, are really good. They're super funny and they start taking off on social media. And wow. she builds this hair product business, this beauty business, Kaleidoscope Beauty, and it takes off and it grows really fast. And then all of a sudden it grows incredibly fast. Now she moved to Atlanta. She lives in like a massive mansion with like a zoo in it. I, I, I knew her, you know, on, in between buying the luxury, like buying the first luxury car and the zoo. That's, I was seeing her at the cusp of it. And we were talking about this. It's, she's like, everyone thinks that this is, you know, me just coming up with the stuff and Instagram made it take off. But it's like, it's like, you know, 20 years of my life of blood, sweat, and tears just to get to this point mm -hmm. where I can then go to the next point and enjoy that level of success. And again, where she goes, you know, it's it, it's going to continue going in all these different directions. But again, that's that mythology, right? It's it's that it's that success should be instant. It should be gratification. You should be a, a brilliant student in your dorm at Stanford one day and then be showered with millions of dollars the next. That's the way it's supposed to work. It's, it really is this like Disney fairy tale notion yeah. of what this is supposed to be about. And it's not. It's, it's, it's a lifelong journey that never ends until that life ends pretty much. Yeah, it's, and people don't count the, the, the practice and fails. Like, you know, I started my first business at 18, then I tried to start doing some other things and those failed with some, you know, different partners and different iterations where I was trying to get out of the construction business that, that was my first company. And then, you know, cause I didn't want to be in blue collar all my life. I'm like, I can't, I can't be doing this work when I'm, when I get old, I, I just can't, 
you know, my I can see my body's not going to hold up for this. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard work being in construction and subcontracting. So, you know, so there was the first business that was successful. There was the, I don't know, three or four iterations. I've got business cards in my box of them all. And then finally, you know, hitting on the big multi-million dollar one that I hit on, I think it was 22. And so there was like, what, three or four years where I was kind of trying to find the next big thing. And so no one cancels failures. And all those little practices are are part of that multi-millionaire company. I, you know, I wrote about this in my book. I'm like, these here's my failures. And here's also some of the stuff that I learned from some great CEOs that actually kind of finished my, what I call my CEO final training, my final, you know, what I needed to really complete the package to start smacking stuff out of the park, or at least having the, the ability to, and no one counts those. So like, like, I, I don't know if that counted for that young lady you mentioned who had 20 years over her thing, you know, all the failures, but no one counts that. Like, you know, the, you, you technically need to add on like, I don't know, four or five years prior to my first multi-million dollar company of, of the practices and failures. And that really was part of the whole journey that, that completed. Cause I couldn't have ever done that without those four or five failures. I know a lot of VC people do the same thing or not VCs, but people work for VCs. You know, they bet that these guys are going to have three or four failures and turnovers, but they bet that when they finally hit the home run, it's a, uh, it's, you know, a unicorn. And they're wrong a lot of the time. That's the thing. Everyone thinks mm-hmm. these guys in Patagonia vests are these brilliant geniuses that pick the winner every time, but you know, their firm might have picked one winner once and they're still riding off the coattails of that investment in Facebook or whatever. It doesn't mean that they're so good at picking out what's the next great thing. And and yet, you know, and, and again, they're, they're investing in like a fractional percentage of the companies that start up and actually make money, right? They're mm-hmm. not investing in the construction firms. They're not investing in the coffee shop. They're not investing in these other businesses that, that, you know, could do well, but it doesn't fit in their wheelhouse. And, and, and there's a lot of marketing that goes into it, right? A lot of that mm-hmm. money buys stories in the press and ads and things. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Look at this tremendous boom of, you know, mattress companies that you can order online <laughs> like that. Wow. These guys are geniuses. And then two years later, like, wow, look at all these bankrupt mattress companies. <laughs> or we work, you know, or Theranos. Theranos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Both those mini series have just come out at the same time. So take yeah. your pick of take which, pick you know, entrepreneur rise and fall story that you want to watch on your streaming service of choice. Yeah. You know, and you, you actually make me think of something, you know, people, people always kind of point to the glam, the successes, the top things. And I remember when I started my first company and everyone's like, no, that was my first company. It was my, it was my one that became a multi-million dollar company. I didn't really know what I was doing on my first company where I, I knew that I was an entrepreneur. Like that wasn't a thing back then. Like everyone's like today where it's like, you need to run around and be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know I was an entrepreneur. I'm just like, I needed, I got fired from McDonald's, needed a job and, 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 uh, started up what I learned from my dad as a kid and subcontracting. And, uh, amazing. You got fired from McDonald's. Let's just, the story's pretty amazing. If you read in the book, it was for having long rocker hair and wearing satanic Van Halen concert t-shirts. Cause it was a real satanic religious. and Van Halen together. Satanic and Van Halen together. Yeah. It's a fun story in the book and how it turns. So I go back and I shake the hand of the guy who fired me about three months later and 
tell him how much I'm making. But uh, yeah, it was, it was the, uh, he was real religious uh, here. It was here in Utah. You can figure that one out. But yeah, evidently my satanic Van Halen t-shirts of 1984 concert because I don't know, maybe it was the baby who's smoking on the cover of that album. Maybe that was it. But yeah, we all know that Van Halen is clearly of the devil worshiping type. Or, you know, this is the 80s. So, you know, back then, well, who was running around in the 80s? Wasn't it Al Gore's wife doing that album thing? Yeah. There was, yeah. It was, this was obviously, you hit it right before the rap phase. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Van Halen was, I guess, the hardest core thing that in Provo, Utah, or wherever. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, was, it was pretty insane. I, I mean, I was wearing Aussie. I mean, maybe you could throw on. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, that, yeah. Fair enough. That's like straight up. Yeah. yeah. Bad, bad head but, eating. But yeah. no one ever does like a book on the fails. And I remember, I mean, what I started uh, to lead in with my segue was, you know, I remember when I started my multimillionaire company, I was, we were trying to get credit. We were trying to, you know, get some traction, maybe get some money. And I was, and I remember hearing that the term, you know, 99% of businesses fail in the first two years. And I'm like, holy fucking Christ, I gotta, I gotta climb that mountain. Yeah. And that was the first time it had hit me. And, I realized what sort of odds I was up against. And I, you know, I doubled down and, and like a dog, I just sunk my teeth in and a pit bull. And I'm just like, I'm not going to be that fucking guy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm making this thing. And I realized how stacked the odds were and it made me work harder. But no one writes about that 99% that failed. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, there is, there is this thing, failure porn, right? And it, and it talks about, <laughs> it's, it's a genre of entrepreneur porn. And it is that like, you know, here's the story of my successful business. But first, I'm going to uh -huh. tell you a quick little funny anecdote about the business I had that failed and the lesson I learned from that. <sighs> but, you know, so much of that failure is, is out of people's hands. In the book, I write about a man named Seth Nitschke, who is actually a, a big fan of punk and The Clash. So would approve of those choices. Not Van Halen, though. Seth's a, a rancher in, in the Central Valley, California. He started a grass-fed beef company, huh? his wife and... And really just is like a one man rancher and, and he doesn't own his own ranch. So he's, you know, trucking cattle all around the, this area. It's, it's costly and expensive. It takes a lot of time, but you know, land is so expensive in this area. And, and, and I, I went out and spent a couple of days with him when he was, you know, really at the peak of struggles. The bank had just turned him down for a mortgage on a home and ranch where he would have his own land to be able to run his cattle out of the land. And it was just crushing. He said it was like getting you know, kicked in the balls by a horse, which was a, like a metaphor I could really understand as a non-farmer. And, 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 you know, it, he still kept at it and he's still doing it today. And he's, he's, he's gotten back up and, and things are going well. But, you know, I, I think that the problem with the failure thing is that people sort of ascribe it to certain thing. It's like, oh, I want to hear a story about someone who failed and then they learn from that and they never failed again. And the reality for entrepreneurs is like failure is a constant, constant force that's going to be there, but it is not the be all and end all. You will have lots of failures every day, multiple times throughout the day or every year. And it's what you do with those failures, those mistakes, those misfortunes, those things that are completely out of your control that defines you as an entrepreneur. How you deal with failure is more important than sort of like moving on from it in this in this great way. And so, yeah, the stuff about failure is is it's just kind of this it's like this checklist failure. And mm -hmm. and that the mythology of the entrepreneur is like first you're going to do something and you're going to fail and you're going to fail spectacularly, fail big and then you'll have your success and you'll be able to talk about that <laughs> failure. But like you know, a lot of people failed 
because of things that were out of their control, right? And they constantly do, or or because of bad decisions that they made that at the time seemed like good decisions or you know mm-hmm. the good people they hired. And we can all look back and with that 2020 crystal clear hindsight and be like, well, I failed because of this. And so, you know, lesson number two is blah, blah, blah. But the circumstances are so completely different for everyone else that if I did the exact same thing you did, I would probably, and you know, uh, vice versa. If you tried something that I failed at, you might succeed. Right. It's, 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 I think that the thing for me is that entrepreneurship is so, is so individual. It's so Mm -hmm. down to in person's individual personality and circumstances, their background, the privilege that they have of where they actually come from and and what that is. Right. Those set of personal circumstances and the time they're in, where they are, that it's such a personal journey that it's very hard to kind of universalize it. Entrepreneurs have to do this. Entrepreneurs act like this. People are like, what's, I've done so many podcasts and it's like, well, what's the personality of an entrepreneur? Like, well, I'm like, well, I've met super over the top extroverted entrepreneurs who are super confident, love to talk and whatever. And I met like quiet church mess entrepreneurs and both of them, you know, can be either successful or failures. And it has nothing to do with that thing. Mm -hmm. It suits, you know, every race, creed, class, economic level personality type has entrepreneurs in it. Everyone has an entrepreneur in the family. There's no one type that kind of unites them all, except for that desire for sort of freedom and the ability to tolerate the risk that goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And no one, and like you mentioned with the failure porn, no one writes about the people who fail, 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 and never come back, you know, they do. Right. Or fail, not in some crazy spectacular way, but like in a everyday mid-league way, right? Like that the line of credit ran out and they had to close down the business and take a job somewhere. And then they started something on the side and, you know, it doesn't really take off enough for them to become this thing. And like, that's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. And, and rather than saying, well, they don't matter that what matters is only the ones who are successful. Actually, if we studied the ones that are in the middle, we might discover more interesting things or more things Mm -hmm. that we can learn from than studying the career of Elon Musk. This is what it's, you know, every, every young entrepreneur on LinkedIn, right? How many fucking times have I like seen someone post an Elon Musk video of him talking about starting a business Mm -hmm. or like, Simon Sinek, the same Simon Sinek video over and over and over yeah. um, on LinkedIn. This is what I love about LinkedIn. And it's like, you know, this is my hero, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. Like, look at what he does. Look at how he says, this is who I emulate. It's like, what are you possibly going to learn from Steve Jobs? Random guy starting. Like, it's like, this is, this is such a singular one of a kind individual. Like, what are you possibly learning from this person? It's like, if you just read that biography one more time, you're going to like nail it. <laughs> right? Or no, if you, these... or if you uh, do the Theranos thing, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you wear the turtleneck turtle or, or you act like Elon Musk. You're like, you need to divorce your first wife and act like an asshole to everyone else. Like that's the lesson that people take from it. Right. Wow. Oh, you know, he only, he only got two hours of sleep. So I'm only getting two hours of sleep too. I, I uh, once, yeah. there was this young biz bro here in Toronto, entrepreneur that owns this I don't know, chain of restaurants or something. He, I was at some conference and there was this other guy who's, who has this huge thing of ad, ad agencies. Like he's huge worldwide. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm only down to four hours of sleep now. Isn't that great? Like he was bragging to the older guy, like this is his thing. Like he's, he's trying to achieve that level of what it is. It's, it's, it's putting it all in this box and thinking that you have to act in this, in this certain way. And it, it you could be an entrepreneur in any way to suit your own personality, to suit your life, to suit your, your lifestyle to suit your, 
you know, your values. Like the, the entrepreneurship is what allows you to take your work and shape it to that, not yeah. the other way around. You don't have to be an entrepreneur in a certain way. And, and the failure porn, you know, it, it, it's, it's just part of that myth-making. I think that yeah. that has to be eradicated. You, you see it all the time on, in the, in the Silicon Valley crowd, in the startup VC yeah. crowd. And I'm not trying to yeah. shame the VC crowd, but the, the startup companies, I know a lot of guys who are, you know, they're working really hard to do what they do, but sometimes that startup porn, I, you know, I've been critical of Elon Musk and a lot of things he does, you know, I mean, he comes from a different sort of avenue. I mean, he, he came from rich parents, number one. So he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, he easily slid his, those investments into into what he did. Did he have some good ideas? Yeah, he came from the, was it Stanford group with, with all the other guys, the, the PayPal mafia kids that came out of, who's the Facebook board member who was pretty Peter toxic? Thiel. Peter yeah. Thiel. Deal. I'm probably getting sued now. Literally I mean, sitting in Putin's ear right now telling yeah, him what to do. I'm sure, yeah. The Putin in Florida or the Putin in Russia? I'm sorry. Which reminds me of the four-hour sleeping thing, which turns out that's just a Adderall addiction. The You know the story behind that. But no, that whole crowd that just kind of came up together and, and, and helped each other out. And, you know, they hit bigly with the, with the PayPal. The, you know, there's, there's a certain thing. Like I didn't have that when I went through my thing. And I think a lot of the VCs, even though they give these kids a lot of money, I mean, these kids are still living in maybe a dorm somewhere they set up and they're, they're still living on top ramen. That's, that's the reason VCs really like these guys is they, they work really cheap and for free. I mean, yeah, if they, if they hit the unicorn, yeah, big times, but uh, you know, they, they know these guys are going to work their butt off. Whereas VCs probably aren't going to be money. Cause I'm like, I got to go take a, and I don't run on alcohol anymore. I mean, that, that phase is gone. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just lots of high caffeinated coffee at this point, but uh, yeah, there's a point where the old man goes, my back hurts. I got to go take a nap, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey. And, and I think it's good what you're doing in, in peeling back the the gloss of it or the, the, the porn of it, you know, success porn, failure porn that I see everywhere because people buy into it and then they think it's easy and you're like, you have no idea. Like I, I kind of thought it was kind of easy too. Once I thought it was easy once you attained a level of success, you know, you had the hundreds of employees, you know, multi-million dollar companies, you know, you're making so much money, you're throwing like 10 grand a month in your investment accounts. You know, you got, you got money, you got more money. You can freaking stupid spend sometimes. And I thought that would be a level of success. But what people don't realize is you're, you're basically raising this, this balance beam or what, what is it, the circus thing? You know, where they do the, the balance, thing high wire. On, the high wire, you're building a high wire. And the more successful you get, the more money you make, the more employees you have, that you're beholden to, to make, you know, it, it's really weird when you look at, you know, okay, I got to worry about paying my bills for this month. And then suddenly you're like a hundred people like depend on me every month. And if I fuck up, I fuck like a hundred people's lives up. That's, that's a whole different level of pressure. And the higher you go, the, the farther you can fall, you know, my business partner, when he left my company, he thought he could go out and get, uh, what five figures a month, just, just, just because he left the company and just, you're just like, Hey, I just go, you know, I just go tell him I make five figures a month and, and they'll pay me it in, in, in quadruplicate. And he found out there, army. it's not that easy. It just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't happen that he was living, he was living a dream that I built. And, and so it, it, you have this high wire that if you know that, you know, the higher you go, the more you look down and go, if I fuck up, it's a long way to the bottom. 
Like, it's just not like, like, if I fuck up now and, you know, I'm finally bankruptcy for whatever reason, it's uh, whatever my bills are, you know. But, you know, when you're running a multimillion dollar company or a series of multimillion dollar companies like I was, it was a long way down, man. It was a long way down. And people don't realize. They just they just think, I used to have people that come into me and they go, you're rich. And I'm like, yeah, and you took all the money. But they would be like, you know, it must be so nice to do something you love. You don't have to worry. You don't have to work hard anymore. And I'm like, holy, I work harder now than ever running three companies. Like, what are you talking about? Like it just gets living the dream, Chris. Living Living the dream, dream. living the success. And that's it, right? That's the, you know, that's that's that that's it in a nutshell. It's like it takes every entrepreneur realizes that in some way, whether it's when they when they hit that rock bottom or when they're at the top or somewhere in the middle, going up or going down in in those cycles. They're like, why am I doing this? What what does this actually mean to me? And I think they we all have to we all have to confront that. And actually deal with it. And only by confronting it and deal with it and having those conversations with yourself and maybe with mm-hmm. a therapist or a spiritual leader or a you know, loved one, do you actually wrap your head around what it means and why you do it? Because if you can't answer that question, if it's just like, well, I'm doing it to make money, then you're going to hit that wall at some point. No, that was the hardest part for me too. All of my companies I started from an investor CEO mindset of just smacking them out of the park. And I never done the entrepreneur journey of finding something you love. My podcast is the only thing I've ever built that I, I sincerely love. I'm passionate about it. I don't care if you uh, pay me or not for this thing. I love it. I love the brilliant authors like you guys that come on the show and you guys spend hundreds of thousand hours researching something and I get to ask all the cool questions. You know, we've had people on here like Peter Strzok and other people that, you know, I watch them do interviews on TV and, and I, you know, they just do the soundbite, ask him stupid idiot questions in the media. The media always doesn't do that, but they did it particularly with him. And I'm like, I want to find out more about my constitution, my government, what's going on. And no one's asking these questions. And so I get to ask those questions when we have people like that on, uh, that no one asks in the media and we get to cover stuff. And we also get to find out there's a human being there as opposed to, you know, some of the hits that some of these people take from the media and, you know, it's, well, you know, you did this or whatever. And, you know, they've got three minutes to save their reputation on, on national TV. So I love what I do now. It's the first time in 50 years that I have something that I love. And yeah, I didn't even love it the first 10 years. So when COVID started, we changed the format of the show. We opened it up to authors and everybody else. And before that was Silicon Valley tech stuff. Yeah. And uh, I just burned out on it. And it, when COVID started, I'm like, I want to talk about something about everything, but also shit that matters, you know, Silicon Valley matters, but I just want to, I'm just like, there's so much more to talk about in life that matters that we're, we're not covering. And, um, uh, so, yeah, falling in love with something and being passionate about it is really can get you through the darkness. And I never had that. And so that's probably why I drank pretty hard for 20 years. Uh, now, you're, now you're having your coffee. You're back in yeah. Utah diet of like lots of sugar and God. Well, we stay yeah. away from the sugar. Well, yeah. I, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And, and, you know, again, like if you're comparing your success with this now, which perhaps is not as financially lucrative on a balance sheet or in pure numbers as some of the other businesses that you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, what would you take? Right. Well, would I say, all right, Chris, you got to pick, you know, which one do you take? Like, Oh, this one. 
Yeah. And and I can make the kind of money that I used to make, and we're on the way doing it with the speaker thing and and the book and all that sort of stuff. You know, we just got to get through the COVID times. <laughs> you know, we we were making incredible money before COVID. You know, with events and everything I used to do back then. And so yeah, it, it took a little bit of a, a turn for the last two years. But you know, I can make that kind of money again. And the beautiful part is the world's changed enough. Where, you know, with speaking and touring and, and being in a different place. And of course now, like it's so much easier. Like I said, my, our first successful businesses were all brick and mortar. I mean, you, you had to sign an office lease for three years, build an office, fill it with people, get the secretary up front, get the phone lines installed, which was chairs. Was Don't forget the chairs. chairs. You know, we, we would go in. I remember the first company, you know, we were in building some sort of Ikea desk that we got from a office depot, these particle board desks. And, you know, I mean, the amount of work that you would have to put in and investment you would have to put in before you could even start making a dime. You'd have to wait for the Department of Corporations to approve you and the Department of this to approve you. And then, you know, it, it was insane. And so, you know, now the world's so much different. I mean, you know, oh, you want to start a business? Oh, 20 bucks on GoDaddy. You got a dot com. Well, you're a, you're a CEO of a business. <laughs> so it's so much nicer. But yeah, the peace of mind that I have now where I don't have partners that I'm carrying all over the world and giving them half the money they didn't deserve. But, you know, like I say, my last partner I replaced, you know, he went from five figures. I replaced him with some chick for twenty for $2,000 who was basically a secretary. I mean, that's how much work he, the guy was doing. So, you know, it's, I love the place I'm in. And I think like, you know, you've talked about some of these other folks, they they reach a point where they try and do more of what's uh, good for their soul and good for who they are rather than try and, you know, kill themselves because I mean, there's, there's no soul in that. It's, it's, I don't know, it's insane, <laughs> but it was fun at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. a memoir. Put that on the cover. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, there's a whole book of it. I'm glad. I'm glad to have, to have been able to share a bit of it with you. Yeah. And uh, to be here, I hope I can come back when I sling the next book. Please do. It's Please coming do. November. Um, huh. Stay tuned or reach back. There you go. Do you have a title? Do you want to give it away? Yes, I have the I have the like printed manuscript here. The future is analog. The future uh, is analog. There you go. Yeah. I love that title. So I, I wrote a book prior to uh, Solvent Entrepreneur. I had a book come out called uh, The Revenge of Analog, which is actually the best selling book I had. That's my financial success. Not quite a home run, but a decent RBI, I guess. Oh, um, there you go. Maybe like a walk, like a walk. In. And, and and the new one looks at, you know, the this this notion that the future we were promised by Silicon Valley and, and others was that it was going to be all digital and we, everything's going to move toward digital and that's going to be, you know, where we're going. And then two years ago, we were kind of all thrust into that. It's like, here you go. Work from home, school from home, all your events are virtual, your speaking is virtual, like everything's everything's virtual, your friends, your social life. You know, you can even go to church and synagogue online. Like, this is it. This is the world. This is the future. And at first we're like, cool, wow, what's the Zoom? Great. And then after three weeks, you're like, this sucks. Get me <laughs> out of this house. Give me something. Tell me there's more future than this. And so the book's really about what we learned in the, in the past few years and, and what kind of future we actually want to build. Yeah, hopefully we learn from this. Well, that was nice. Uh, back to normal. Hopefully we learn from this should be the motto <laughs> for the past five to twenty years. But um, should, should. we'll there see. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really My appreciate it. It's been a great discussion. Give me your plugs, your dot com, so people can find you on the I'm internet. Like my plugs. 
Yeah. This is real. This is real. Well, I, it might be thin, but it's real. David Sachs, wherever you can find me on Google, I guess. Sachs David on Twitter, though I've really, again, tried to stay off it. And David Sachs or Sachs David, maybe. Uh, S-A-X on LinkedIn. If you write me a message, if you write me an email, if you write me a tweet, if you write me on LinkedIn, if you invite me to join your network on LinkedIn, I will always say yes, unless you look like an like a full scammer. So if you have Bitcoin in your title... You know, it might be like. Or how about how about lead generation? That's always lead generation. One. Lead generation. I could use some leads. Oh, I have. I, I got those. It's like, hey, like we'd love to collaborate. You know, we help authors become bestsellers. I was like, great, good for you. <laughs> Who are these authors? Cool. Okay. I like the uh, I like the ones that uh, yeah they, within five you, you you don't really see you're like well they they're not a lead gen person and and then and within five seconds of you hitting the approval button. You know, they're pinging you. They're pinging you. Hey, did you want to do a 15 minute call? How can we collaborate? Yeah. You know what I always tell them? I go, well, I'm a consultant and I get paid by, you know, the minute like yeah. an attorney. So if you go to my, you know, paid by, I think my camp, I think it is or something like that. Yeah. Or some site that I use for that. I'm like, uh, you can use this link. So if you want 15 minutes with me, you know, you can buy it. <laughs> so there you go. I just say you a LinkedIn You're request. Your own we'll- lead gen. We'll have this on uh, LinkedIn tomorrow. Thanks for coming by the show, Dave. We really My pleasure, it. Chris. I hope the outro music is as bitching as the intro music. Oh, wow. You caught me on, on the off. We don't have outro music. We just roll out. How's that? What? I'm sorry. Yeah. That's it? You don't oh. have like... Note to self. Friday, Friday, Note Friday. Make sure to come Get back it. for... We need to have outro music. You know, yeah. I really should have outro music, but... Well, we just go out with this, so I'll do it. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. Go make sure you see all of our groups on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those different places we are. Uh, the Chris Voss Show is everywhere. Just search for it. Also, go to goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. Go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss. You can see all the wonderful videos we have over there. One plug I should make, <clears throat> there's a playlist on uh, the YouTube channel where it has all of our book on, on or book authors on the show and you can like literally play that for like 50 trillion hours i mean it's probably a thousand on authors on there yeah you really play that from beginning to end and then you'll learn so much and be as smart as i am <laughs> but you will actually be smarter actually i'm been smarter the last two years anyway guys thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time